Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Brock Lesnar's ultimate decimation of John Cena. It's SummerSlam 2014. Kyush, on this night back in August 2014, did we see Brock Lesnar put on the most dominating performance in the history of the great sport of professional wrestling? Gosh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm... I'm at a loss to think of what could compare to it. We've seen more dominant performances, maybe, but we've never seen somebody dominate a person on the level of John Cena. At this point, when this happens, John Cena is arguably one of the top five biggest, greatest wrestlers of all time, certainly on any Mount Rushmore you want to name. And to see him treated like a piece of fucking garbage was wild. The other thing is, I don't know that I've ever seen a match quite like this where one guy just beats the other guy's ass for 15 minutes. Like, we've all seen squash matches. You know, Brock has been squashed several times now. I don't think we've ever seen one guy, one top guy, just dominate another top guy for this long, or really anybody dominate somebody for this long. Cena practically gets no offense in this match, and it's a 15-minute match. He gets two baby comebacks, and that's pretty much yeah. it. And they're, and then he gets like his ass stomped on, and then we're back to the ass whooping. Yeah, and when he gets offense, and Lesnar quite literally laughs at him. We're gonna get to like what it is about that match that made it be that way, um, and like sort of the fallout of it. But God, isn't it smart to do this? Because it doesn't fucking hurt Cena. Yeah. This but, makes like, it makes special. This makes Brock into the king. <laughs> Yeah, and he was already, I mean, they had already heated him back up by having him beat The Undertaker, but this really took him to another level. The interesting thing is, maybe it would have been even bigger for him if he had pinned Cena in two minutes, but I think having it be longer, probably, I I think they felt like that was protecting Cena, because at least this way, Cena took an ass whooping like a champ. You know, it took Lesnar 15 minutes to beat him instead of putting him down in two minutes like he maybe could have. Here's the thing. The plan is Roman. They see Roman Reigns and they're like, WrestleMania, Roman versus Brock will make all the money in the world. But they do make a mistake here because (laughs) they make Brock Lesnar a huge baby face. Yeah. Having Brock Lesnar murder John Cena, who we like now, don't get me wrong, um, turns him immediately face. The fact that he invents Suplex City in the middle of this. Makes him if into the biggest baby face in the world. Now, if it had been Daniel Bryan instead, yes. like was the like the original plan here was this was going to be where Daniel Bryan dropped the belt to Lesnar. I think if he kills Daniel Bryan like this, it might have started a riot. Yeah. Here's the thing, too. Um, so that was the original plan, is that Daniel Bryan was supposed to hold the belt until here and then drop it to Lesnar like this. Um, I definitely don't think Brock Lesnar gets over as a baby face doing that. No. Um, but there's such an added element to that of like the danger to Brian. Yes. It would have been know scary. His, we know his body's falling apart. He's going to take 27 German suplexes. It's horrifying. Although they had basically this match at Survivor Series in 2018. You remember that, that match kicked ass. But yeah, yeah it was kind of scary watching Lesnar maul him like that after everything he had been through. And the funny thing is, is like I think that honestly that would 
Like that was their attempt to be like, that's the match we wanted to have originally. Yeah. And wouldn't it have that's kicked ass? Yeah. Str- it's an incredibly strange match because Brian had just turned heel and I don't think they had any idea what his character was supposed to be yet. And he just turns into the Tasmanian devil and just starts like yeah. biting the shit out of Lesnar. <laughs> what a great match that is. I loved that. The only chance against Lesnar is to be completely unpredictable. And that's what he is in that match. So anyway, all the way back at WrestleMania in April, Daniel Bryan achieved his dream of becoming the WWE champion for actually the second time by beating Triple H and Randy Orton and Batista in the same night. And Brock Lesnar pinned The Undertaker to end his WrestleMania undefeated streak. And that seemingly set us up for Brock versus Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. Is I think pretty much everybody could call that one. Like I think everybody could see the order here that... Uh, Brock is going to take the belt off Brian at SummerSlam, and then he's going to drop it to Roman at WrestleMania. Seemed preordained. And let's be clear about this. Coming out of those two matches, you have arguably the biggest babyface and the biggest heel yes. that you've constructed since the Attitude Era. Beautiful. Like, this should be, like, the biggest SummerSlam main event of all time. <laughs> Fate intervenes. <laughs> Unfortunately, Brian's neck problems end up being too much for him to continue to wrestle. He gets one pay-per-view title defense against Kane, corporate Kane. Well, it was Demon Kane, actually. He put the mask back on at Extreme Rules. And then he can't wrestle anymore after that, but he still holds on to the belt for like two months as they're waiting to see whether they're going to be able to clear him. I don't think he gives up the title until, I guess... No, he gave it. He gave it up in May. He gave it up at the right. pay per view in May. Okay, that's right. Payback. A wait. No, he didn't actually give it up there. So they did this angle where they told him you have to forfeit the title or your wife is going to get fired. And Bree takes a third option and slaps Stephanie and quits instead. So here. Now we're touching on the most interesting match in this whole show for me. They decide, knowing that Brian can't wrestle, they try to transfer his heat onto Brie, which is an interesting choice because she and Nikki are crazy popular in certain circles because of Total Divas. Like, they are the stars of that show, which is freakishly popular. It absolutely is. But on the screen, they've still been mega heels up to this point. And they've never really acknowledged that Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella were together until now. No, so like, I don't think they ever had. That's right. So, like, they literally just bring her out here, and that's her acknowledgement that, yes, they're together. But they had been on the show. Like, we knew that Cena was dating Nikki and uh, yeah. Brian was dating Brie from the show, but they'd never acknowledged it on screen here. So it was like a total weird crossover moment. So and they... 100% successfully transfer, maybe not yeah. the heat to Brie, but definitely the heat to Stephanie. <laughs> Eventually, he finally gives up the title, and they announce they're going to crown a new champion at the Money in the Bank paper, pay-per-view in a ladder match. As all this is going on, the top actual wrestling feud is Evolution against The Shield, and the shield just wipes the floor with evolution to a shocking extent. They wrestle twice and the shield destroy them both times at payback. They did an elimination match and the shield beat them three zero. 
let's let that sink in. Evolution is the greatest assemblage of yeah. world champions ever constructed. Between them, they are something like 30-time world champions, right? Batista, yep. Orton, Triple H. The Shield run through them like a bowling ball through wet toilet paper. It's embarrassing. And then the night after payback, Batista quits and walks out, both in kayfabe and reality, because he was upset about, at how he had been booked. He, you know, didn't like that he ended up having to do, like, I think he didn't like that they brought him in as a baby face and then turned him heel and then jerked him around. Didn't I think he really wanted a pay-per-view title match against Daniel Bryan and they didn't do it, which I have no idea why they didn't, because that would have been awesome. That should have been the match coming out of WrestleMania, not yes, Demon King. That's what we all wanted to see. Yeah. But heel Batista against Daniel Bryan, I think that pay-per-view was in Seattle, would have been insanely hot. Just fucking Hollywood Batista being like, I fucking, this little pipsqueak piece of shit made you all cheer for him instead of me. Fuck this kid. So Triple H promises a plan B, which ends up being Seth Rollins turning on Reigns and Ambrose. What do you think of breaking up the shield this early and Rollins being the one to turn? This was stunning to, I think, everybody. Yeah. This was around the time that it really started to circulate that, like, it was about time for the shield to split up. They were a hugely popular act, but there's just nothing left for them to do. They had feuded yeah. with every other group in the company. They had the, thrust, like what the, team could the you one put thing they had more credible? They had they had never beat they never beat the Wyatt family. They lost all that, their matches against the Wyatt family. So you had one more big match in that, but after that, I don't know that you could have kept coming up with um three man teams for them to fight. The one thing a couple of years ago, I was brainstorming about this for some reason. And what I thought of was, what if the Usos had turned heel and pressured Roman to join up with them, being like, why are you hanging out with these white boys instead of your brothers? And then when Roman refused to join them, they brought in Samoa Joe as their third. Now, that's the coolest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, right. However... That would have been years after this, and the Shield probably would have been super stale by then. But that sounds yeah. fucking awesome. Uh, but the truth they is, have Samoa, they have, don't they have Samoa Joe by now? Uh, no, I don't think so. We haven't even had NXT Brooklyn yet, have we? Yeah, I guess that, he hasn't shown up year. yet. Yeah, yeah I think he's like two years later. Yet, but they, they don't sign it. No, but yeah, he's there by 2015. So, like, I think they may have... I don't remember exactly when they signed. They just signed Kevin Owens, actually. I have some notes on all the people they've just signed. Yeah. Um, but so when it comes to this, everyone was knew that they were going to kind of break up here at some point just because there's nowhere else for them to go. Everyone in their fucking mom thought Dean Ambrose was turning heel. It oh, was the most obvious thing yeah. in the world. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's what everybody called. I think it was 100% the right call to have Seth be the one to turn, because I think Seth would have gotten lost in the shuffle otherwise. Yes, absolutely he would have. I think Dean could have killed it, not as a corporate guy, but as a heel, sure. Yeah. Uh, Roman was always going to be split off to become a ne the next big star. But doing it with Rollins is so good. I will fight to my death to say that corporate Rollins, the chosen one, is an incredible character. An yeah. unbelievably great idea. Much better than whatever the fuck he's doing today. Like, just like 
not only does he find his character here, he gets the music, which is great. He gets money in the bank, but just like like the fits and like the like the outfits and yeah. stuff that he starts wearing, it just works, man. He fits man, that this white, role. The, that white gear he wore against Cena at SummerSlam yes. is unbelievable. He just looks like a star. And like he looks like such a star that the fact that Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns look like dog shit oh, on this show like is shit. I can't wait until we get to those matches. They look like assholes. <laughs> um, so at Money in the Bank, there's two ladder matches. First, Rollins wins the Money in the Bank briefcase by beating Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, Jack Swagger, Kofi Kingston, and Rob Van Dam. That is a really random group of people. Rob Van Dam is wild. Rob Van Dam is still wrestling in the company here. Why is he in that one instead of the WWE Championship one? That's a really good question, Steve. I don't know. Like, we'll talk about it, but there's a swap you should have done here. So Cena won the WWE title by winning the ladder match featuring Alberto Del Rio, Bray Wyatt, Cesaro, Kane, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, and Sheamus. I feel like Cesaro doesn't belong in that one. I think you're totally right about that. And I don't think Bray should have been in that one at all because it feels absolutely wrong for that character. Bray being in title matches always felt kind of weird. It felt like maybe he shouldn't be concerned with earthly things. Yeah, why would he fucking care? Like, it doesn't make sense. Because he can get more followers if he's champion. Isn't the most fundamental misstep with Bray Wyatt the fact that his character should want more followers but doesn't actually? (laughs) But instead, yeah, they're always splitting him off from from the family for no particular reason. They never add to the family. He never tries to actually talk anyone into joining the family. (laughs) He's a cult leader who doesn't want more members. The July pay-per-view was battleground, and it was kind of just a filler show. Cena retained the title in a fatal four-way against Kane, Orton, and Reigns. Felt too soon to be putting Reigns in world title matches. I don't think that was a good idea. Water, but it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't. Just, what happened, whatever happened to the climb? Like, Think of how long it used to take guys to get a title shot. How long did it take Bret Hart to get a world title match? Took him years. I mean, let's even go to more recent times. Even like Cena and Orton had to like climb up the card and get the IC belt first, right? Like like you don't just. That's they just went so fast with Reigns. Like today it feels like he'd be winning the intercontinental title at the WrestleMania in San Francisco instead of the world title. And, like, they've been enamored of other people other times. They've never... I've never seen Vince as enamored with the talent as he was with Reigns here. Yeah. And I get it, because the Shield is an incredible force of nature, and I don't think Vince really understood why. Because, like, it's a three-man group, and they only have six-man matches, and they've never had anything like that before. And I assume that he looked at that group and said, the reason it works is him. Because he was the hot tag man, and it's the same way Billy Gunn got a push. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, they're not entire like I can't credit all the success to one guy, but I do feel like Roman was the hottest of the three. Like, like the crowd would go wild for his hot tags. 
And it's because, I mean, literally, the shield doesn't work without him. He's the credibility of it. Like, he's the smashing hammer. Like, it was incredible the shit he could do. He was credible from the first spear he ever performed. So, the next night on Raw, Triple H said he was going to announce the number one contender for the title in the main in the main event segment. Randy Orton came out as if he was going to be announced the number one contender, but then Roman Reigns showed up and beat Orton up and ran him out of the arena in a very funny segment, as Triple H has already been annoyed by Orton all night, and now he's just, like, losing his shit as he's like, Randy can't even beat Roman Reigns. How am I supposed to put him up against John Cena? Yep. And then Paul Heyman came out and proposed that Triple H embrace Plan C, which is Brock Lesnar versus John Cena for the WWE title at SummerSlam. Now that's now a match. This, yeah, this only sort of works because like the, now we have to do the endless Brock Lesnar versus John Cena schmaltz fest where Cena's like, well, I'm not afraid. I can beat him. And then they go back and they, they make this all about the Extreme Rules match, which is wrong because, yes, Cena beat him once before. But that's not what we should be focusing on because that was dumb as shit and we should forget about it. It was very uh, stupid that they beat him. In kayfabe, you can say like, oh, maybe Brock had ring rust or he hadn't fully healed from his diverticulitis or something. But they just didn't book him very well for his first year back. But I want you to imagine watching this segment if it's Daniel Bryan. And you know he's just he's like kind of gone through like some injury scares and stuff like that. And you think for a second, oh, he's gonna fight Orton, huh? And then Orton gets run off, and then triple and then fucking Paul comes out in the fear you would feel in that moment. Knowing that it's time. It's Brock time. (laughs) And it's a great story, too, because it's all about the authority losing control of things because they're so desperate to get rid of Cena slash Brian that they agree to let Lesnar in. But once he's got the belt, let that dog out of the cage. Yeah. Yeah, What are you going to do now? Um, So big business story going on is the WWE network. They launched it at WrestleMania to something like 750,000 subscribers. Uh, Here at the end of July, they had to do a quarterly report to their shareholders. They announced there were now 690,000 subscribers, which meant that the number had actually dropped since WrestleMania, despite the fact that back then when you signed up, you had to make a six-month commitment. So people were like canceling the thing, even though they were going to have to be paying for it. The interesting thing about that is that like the following month, they kind of hot shot Brock Lesnar versus John Cena too, yep. because the six month subscriptions all come up and they're yeah. like, fuck, we can't put on a shitty pay-per-view or everyone's just kind of <laughs> let it lapse. Yeah. So they burned their lat the last date they have on Lesnar for the year in September and he's gone for the rest of the year. And even though they're planning on building him for their title match at WrestleMania. <laughs> so they proceed to make a number of changes in response to this disappointing number. They make the subscription month to month, which they should have just done to begin with. The of whole six month commitment thing was stupid. 
Like, there's no six, like, no streaming service asks you for a commitment. Every streaming service is month to month. Like, if you don't have confidence that people are going to keep this, you shouldn't be rolling it out. You don't like it, cancel it. Here's the subscriber model that works. You get people to sign up, and then they forget that they're paying for it, and yeah, then you get a couple months of free money. <laughs> yeah, they didn't hit on the free month thing until later in the fall, and it's crazy that it took them so long. And people made fun of that, and it's like every streaming service has a free trial period. Because, yes, be- like you said, I can't tell you how many times I've signed up for services and forgotten about them. I think I was once subscribed to Amazon Prime for two years without realizing it. Never used it once. Woof. I found out last week I was paying for Hulu and I have not watched Hulu since like 2015. (laughs) (laughs) I have Hulu because I replaced my cable with it. Yeah. At one point I had gotten it as like a bundle with like ESPN plus and Disney plus. And I was like, Oh, okay. Those are cool. And then I got rid of those and just forgot about Hulu. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is the, I mean, there's still, I think America online may still be drawing money from some people. Like that, that's yeah, the that's, streaming model. People just forget about it. But the idea that you would instead be like, you're going to pay for six months up front. And then next six months later, we're going to be like, give us more money now. That's not the model. Uh, they managed to roll the network out in almost every country on earth way earlier than they were planning to. I don't know how they pulled this off. Probably just didn't translate any of the menus into languages other than English. I, there were all sorts of stories from that time about them hiring like all these people to like, like edit the footage and like go through all the shows. It's the same as they did with Peacock, where they're like, "Oh, we're gonna censor all the bad stuff." Yeah, yeah. And like, there's a cl- it's clear that in both cases they got like a little bit ways in and just said, "Fuck it, who cares?" <laughs> and then they did a lot of cost cutting, including firing 55 people. And ending the publication of the WWE magazine so they could fire the entire staff. That's not good, and I'm I'm I, my heart is broken for those people. There should not have still been a WWE magazine in 2014. There aren't magazines anymore. No. All right. Somehow we still have a lightning round on top of all that. Are you Ooh, ready, baby? Yes. Xavier Woods came out on Raw dressed like Malcolm X and proposed to Kofi Kingston and Big E that they needed to create, quote, a new day together. Who would have thought this would still be going 10 years later? I believe they just came back like last week for another run of the new day. Yep, they just came back last week. And here's the fascinating thing is that I don't think anybody at the time had any idea what the fuck this was supposed to be. Least of all Vince McMahon. Clearly, clearly supposed to be a new nation of domination. Yes. Xavier literally comes out in like a colorful suit with some glasses on. He's dressed up like Malcolm X. The fabulous thing about this, or maybe not fabulous, is that on wrestling forums for like, 20 fucking years yes people had at racists yeah, throughout the, the wrestling world every time a black guy got over oh, oh hey we should bring back the nation oh man broker t got put him with uh bobby lashley and mark henry restart the nation this just desire to group black people into one group which is pretty fucked up when you think about hey, it wh- hey what are they doing with bobby lashley right now hey they're forming him <laughs> 
Now, hold on, because that's the, that's the new Hurt Business. The Hurt Business fucking rules. Yeah, it, you're allowed to do this if it's not, like, Vince McMahon's cool white... black guys. Yeah, yeah. It, if, it, if it's what they actually want to do, that's different. But in this case, Ryback, it really felt like, uh, why? Ryback and Curtis Axel were paired together as Ryback-Axel. The fact that you ever see Ryback like come across your Twitter feed and you're like, boy, this guy thinks a lot of himself for a guy who used to team he with Curtis sure Axel. He fucking does. Yeah. <laughs> Triple H did a promo in which he listed all the matches you could get on the show and after each one said they would be available for just $9.99 to the point where the crowd started chanting it along with them. This is genuine genius salesmanship. Triple H, who's a heel, by the way, yeah. like launches this catchphrase. He makes the price their catchphrase and it works. Um, Hulk Hogan's birthday party on Raw was ruined by Brock Lesnar, who told him party's over, Grandpa. This is an underrated time for Lesnar. He starts... <laughs> This is the first time he said anything on the mic in like 15 years, and he just starts saying awesome shit off the cuff. Do you remember first watching this promo where he says, like, I'm going to kill John Cena and bury him in piss? Yeah, it's unbelievable. He's so good in the sit down. In that sit down environment where he gets a few takes, he's dynamite. Of course I beat The Undertaker. He's an old fucking man. Oh. Vince Russo revealed that he had tried to book a shoot flag football game between DX and the nation back in the attitude era. Somehow I think the nation would have won that one. What do you think? You there? Yeah, I'm here. What's the last thing you heard me say? Uh, last thing we were talking about uh, flag football. <laughs> I'll do that one over again. Vince Russo revealed he had tried to book a shoot flag football game between DX and the nation back in the Attitude Era. Somehow I think the nation with Dwayne Johnson, Mark Henry, and D'Lo Brown, and Charles Wright would have had the advantage there. I don't know. It's a flag football game because all of those guys could tackle the shit out of the yeah. other guys. But like, maybe, maybe it would just be, it might just be X-Pac running wild because he'd be too fast for anybody to catch. Yeah, fucking Deion Sanders X-Pac 10 times faster than the rest of them, sprint, going circles around Mark Henry. Kenta, Prince Devitt, and Kevin Steen all signed with WWE. They were really loading up NXT at this point. This was a coup of people, this, but this was bef- this was really before people knew who these guys were on a, like a national level because there wasn't 
there wasn't the awareness of Japan among mainstream wrestling fans that there would come to be. Like, yeah. it wasn't until, like, the Kenny Omega times that people really knew what was going on there. I remember so Kenta, when, Kenta, when Kenta signed, they did a press conference in Japan with Hogan. It was super awesome. I want to be clear about this. Kenta was, at that time, the biggest Japanese star they'd ever signed, ever. Yeah, that's like, right. It, it, it's unbelievable how big of a deal that was going to be. And, like, and re- let's remember... We know Kenta could have gotten over because all of his moves were in the main events every yeah. fucking night. <laughs> he just had a totally snake bit run. He just couldn't stop getting hurt. And he couldn't do any of his fucking finishers because the main eventers <laughs> oh, yeah. were doing them. Good point. Um, Brian Danielson chased down a burglar who had broken into his house and choked him out. This is real. Fucking Daniel Bryan, absolutely shockingly a shoot fighter. <laughs> You do not want to fuck with him. Hercules, starring Dwayne Johnson, opened with $29 million at the box office. Steve, we both watched a lot of... Here. We've watched a lot of Dwayne Johnson movies. Have you watched Hercules? I don't remember ever watching this. If I have, I've forgotten it. The only thing I remember is the wig. The glorious wig. <laughs> that is quite a wig. While promoting Hercules, Dwayne said he was interested in playing either Shazam or Black Adam in a future DC movie. I swear to God, I read this and I wanted to go back in time like the Flash in uh, Batman versus Superman and be like, (laughs) no, don't do it. It'll ruin your career. Oh, he doesn't just reveal that he wants to do it, that it's his dream since he was eight years old to play Black Adam, and it's all he's ever wanted to do. He only got into movies to eventually play Black Adam. Now, in hindsight, given some of the colossal failures we've seen at the box office this year, Black Adam actually looks pretty great, given that, I don't know, it had no business grossing. Did it, I think it got to $500 million or close yes. to it. No business doing the purely Dwayne Johnson drawing. If you make that movie starring like anyone else, that thing might not have even gotten to $100 million. It's just so funny that we've like spent so long dunking on it and hurting the rock's feelings only for like the next five movies to come out and be like, Oh, these movies are making like 20 million. Holy shit. Even mission impossible, a revered franchise with, and this movie got great reviews and was genuinely awesome is a complete failure. Indiana Jones, one of the most beloved franchises in history starring Harrison Ford. We haven't had Indiana Jones for 15 movies is a 15 years is a colossal flop and the flash Bringing back Michael Keaton Batman for the first time since 1992 is one of the greatest failures in box office history, despite better reviews than Black Adam. It's a failure so bad they decided upon seeing it that we're erasing the entire existence of the former DC franchises. They're all dead. It's over. Sheesh. So Black Adam looking pretty fucking good, bro. Yeah. Oh, a lot of movie news this time. Guardians of the Galaxy, starring Dave Bautista, opened number one at the box office to rave reviews. It was literally never once mentioned on WWE programming because these people are just that petty. Now, in fairness, there was a lot of belief before this thing came out that it was going to be a gigantic failure. Yeah, but it wasn't, and they should have hitched their wagon to it. 
Well, if Batista had still been in the company because they hadn't fucked him around so bad, they would have been really excited to have the fucking star of one of the biggest movies of all time. But not what happened. Alberto Del Rio was reportedly fired after slapping a crew member who made what Del Rio interpreted to be a racist joke to him. Now, I remember at the time, this was before we knew what a piece of shit Alberto Del Rio was. All we knew at the time was that he and, like, uh, Sin Cara hated each other. But, like, there wasn't any evidence that he was, like, the scumbag we know him to be. Yeah. We never really got the full story on this or, like, what the guy said or whatever. But I I read it. So it was something like Del Rio said something to the guy about the fact that he, like, he hadn't cleared it. Like, he was in catering and he didn't clear his plate. He literally just, like, left his plate on the table. Del Rio's like, hey, are you going to clean your plate up? And the guy's like, oh, isn't that your job? Which, yeah, it does feel a little racist. Yep. Um, <laughs> but he so, also I mean, he, he can't slap people, but I'm not convinced I would have fired. I don't think I would have fired him for this. I would have been like, eh, don't hit people, but also that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, two things about this, too, is that... uh. The, the guy showed pictures of him, his face at the time, I recall. And like Del Rio slapped the fucking shit out of this guy. This was like a Charlie Murphy, Rick James slap. And which, I mean, fine. This dude's a racist. Fuck this dude. But the amount to which Vince and company must have been sick to death of Del Rio at this point to fire yeah. him over this is pretty crazy. <laughs> they clearly just use okay. this as an excuse. Okada defeated Nakamura to win the G1 Climax. Oh, God. I'm so happy that you said those words on our podcast. Yes. That's the beginning, my friend. Hogan was reported to be pushing for a match against either Cena or Steve Austin at WrestleMania. Fucking Hogan, Steve Austin at this WrestleMania, really? retirement home fight although we make fun of it and of course steve austin wrestled at wrestlemania 10 years later wait isn't this the wrestlemania with sting versus triple h yes so it would have also had hogan versus austin it had dx versus nwo and hogan versus austin yeah maybe you could have gotten some kind of tag match out of that Fucking Austin teaming with DX is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. Kurt Angle called Triple H about returning to the company and was shot down. Sorry, Kurt. They really should have brought him back here. I think he might have actually had something left at this point. It's actually interesting. So he started to get a little stiff in TNA at this point, but he could clearly still work matches. Yeah. Better than when he came back a couple of years after this and he was done. But if nothing else, I would have just brought him back and had him work NXT, man. Like, he can still do some matches. You put him in there with the young guys. Like, yeah. that's a good situation. Jesse Ventura won a $1.8 million slander case against the estate of deceased Navy SEAL Chris Kyle, the author of the book American Sniper. In the book, Kyle claimed he punched out Ventura in a bar after Ventura made disparaging comments about the U.S. military. This at the trial was determined to have been a fabrication, along with, honestly, many other things that were written in that book. Finding out that that book was, like, complete bullshit was very satisfying. But the idea that Jesse Ventura is so Jesse 
that he would be yeah. like, oh, you said you knocked me out, did you? I'll see you in court, dipshit. Nobody yeah. knocked so he, out Jesse. So he sues him, and then Chris Kyle, unrelatedly, is tragically murdered. And he continues the lawsuit against his grieving widow. So there's a whole thing. He wins here. The verdict is later vacated on appeal. And then before retrial, he reached a settlement with the publisher where I think the publisher just stepped in and agreed to pay most of it to spare Chris Kyle's widow from having to pay it. But yeah, Jesse Ventura undefeated in court. Do not let this do not get sued by this man. He will. I love the idea of him like showing up on like his widow's doorstep with flowers and being like, hey, sorry about your husband, but uh, we're going to keep suing. Yeah. And finally, the hammer. Vince Russo was revealed to be secretly working for TNA when he accidentally emailed Mike Johnson of PW Insider instead of Mike Tanay. He then tried to pull the classic defense where he was like, oh, look at these dumb fake news reporters. You know, I was just working them. And then like. Every reporter in wrestling was like, oh, no, we've independently confirmed that this is true, that, like, Russo's still working there, and they lied to Spike about it, which led to them being dropped by Spike. That was final straw. A couple of things about this that make it particularly amazing. One, the fact that they felt like they needed Vince Russo so much that they'd lie about it, even though Spike wrote it into their television contract that Vince Russo was not allowed to be a member of their writing staff. Which, holy shit, that's got to be the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. Two, Vince, there was rumors at the time that Vince Russo did this shit on purpose because he was so pissed off at Dixie Carter and everybody for not listening to his ideas. So he spitefully, like, hit the the doomsday button and destroyed their whole business. Believable. He is a very petty man. And three, he will send it, like... I, I really wish I could see that email again because I think it was like something so rudimentary. It was just like, hey, Mike, I'll see you at the show or some shit like that. And it's like, wait, what? And it was like half-baked script ideas that were terrible. <sighs> wow. I had almost forgotten that that happened. It literally I mean, killed their company. Who, am- who among us hasn't sent an email or a text to the wrong person? It's just most of us don't destroy the company we work for by doing that. Yeah, saved right next to each other are my buddy Mike from work and the person who will destroy my career if I ever email him. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> So to get into the show, it's Sunday, August the 17th, 2014. We're at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, the longtime home of SummerSlam. I think this was the last time they did it here until they went back to, they went to uh, Brooklyn for the couple of years after this. Well, Brooklyn um, was such a success. Like that. Oh, Brooklyn's awesome. Good. Yeah. That yeah. Heated, as soon as they went to Brooklyn, the show instantly felt bigger. Um, yeah. Sold out crowd, over 17,000. Of course, this is available on WWE Network. The show still did almost 150,000 pay-per-view buys. That's crazy. Yeah. You have to attribute this to the draw of Lesnar versus Cena, which is pretty wild considering what they're about to do with that match. But yeah, the fact they got 150,000 people to buy this thing when they wouldn't subscribe to the network for 10 bucks. But 
I just, it's interesting. I think they were really dealing with some technological limitations for a lot of people. Just streaming was a weird step too far for a lot of people at that point. You got to remember at this time, it's just Netflix, Hulu, and WWE. Like this is pre everybody else jumping into that circle. If you weren't, and even to this day, I feel like I can guarantee, like, we're starting to get college football games exclusively on Peacock now. I can almost guarantee you, like, sometime this fall, my dad's going to call me being like, hey, what channel is the Michigan game on? And we'll be like, oh, it's on this thing called Peacock. The biggest, I'll tell you right now, I work in a sports bar where literally, like, TV's everywhere, right? ESPN3 is the biggest curse in my entire life. Because it shows up on your phone as being on ESPN, and people will shove their fucking phones yeah. in my face every day and be like, like yeah, but it's, it's on ESPN. Yeah. <sighs> no, it's streaming. We can't show that. It's illegal. Even if we did have a subscription, which is not how that works in public areas, there's no way to just stream the shit to my TV cabinet. <laughs> On commentary, Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL. My God, were these guys the commentary team for a long time? We've entered the the glowing green era of announcers, where they all had to have Mountain Dews on their desks for what felt like a year and a half. Yes. And I just like, it's such a weird vibe. I feel like we've also entered the JBL doesn't give a shit era. Holy God, does he not give a shit here? He has not rehearsed one single line. He has nothing to say. He's not interested in any of the matches. The remarkable decline in JBL from we did SummerSlam 06, where he had just started doing commentary and he was on fire and he was so passionate and so interested in everything. And here he is. Couldn't care any less at all. It's just, it's really, I could not tell you one single line any of these three men said on this entire show. We'll see if I have any notes on any of the commentary. Yeah, I just can't. Um, on the pre-show, Rob Van Dam defeated Cesaro in eight minutes and six seconds. That actually sounds awesome. I might go back and watch that. So this was supposed to be the Usos versus Rybaxel for the tag titles, but they just bumped it for some reason for yeah. Van Dam versus Cesaro, which sounds That's way fine. better. No complaints here. Uh, the SmackDown yeah, I mean, after this will be Van Dam's last ever match with the company. Wow. And somehow he just wrestled in AEW two weeks ago. Sure did. Uh... We cut straight into the arena and Hogan kicks off the show and he just shills for the WWE network and like tells people watching on pay-per-view that they're dumb dumbs for buying it on pay-per-view. This is a gigantic waste of time, but also like, here's what I, I understand that they must've been like, no, we need all those pay-per-view people to become WWE network subscribers. Cause we got to hit a certain number, but wouldn't it be better for your bottom line if you had both? Yeah. Like, wh- why is it bad that people are paying you 40 fucking... They made millions off of pay-per-view buys on this show on oh, accident. Yeah. Because, because this was both on the network and on pay-per-view, this was the highest grossing SummerSlam to date by... Like, this, like, this beat Austin and Undertaker because of the higher pay-per-view price point and the fact that they also had a bunch of network subscribers. Yeah. Like... 
the money that you're raking in from both angles, I would push it in both directions. Hey, if you want, yeah. to, uh, if you're a hardcore fan who wants this content and you you want to do it every month, nine ninety nine, baby. But if you just want it for one magical night to watch yeah. Lesnar fight Cena, give us forty dollars. Awesome Let's go. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't say no to people's money. It's stupid. Yeah. What really became a problem is when people stopped buying the pay-per-views and also didn't subscribe to the network. Yeah, what that showed was that there was a kind of viewer that they had that only wanted to buy pay-per-views because that's what they were comfortable with, and they completely yeah. like pushed that person away. Yeah, they would buy one or two of them per year, and they would yeah. make a bunch of money off that. Instead... Those people did not become customers. They just watched Raw nope. for free and then didn't watch the pay-per-views anymore. Uh, the opening package is a you know faux movie trailer for the show. It's That's kind of the standard SummerSlam package in this era. Every SummerSlam package is lame and bad. Every single one. Except the Highway to Hell. That one was cool. Yeah. Um... Opening match for the Intercontinental Championship. We've got the Miz defending against Dolph, or the yeah, the Miz defending against Dolph Ziggler in a match that could have taken place for the Intercontinental Title, really at any point in the past ten years, fifteen years almost. Oh, how Dolph Ziggler has fallen! Here he <laughs> yeah. is back where he started. I think this is the first time he'd won a match in a year since the last SummerSlam. Ah. <sighs> And here's Miz. He's still over. Yeah. And here's Miz thanklessly carrying the mid card as always. Yep. Miz won the vacant IC title the month before in a battle royal. It was vacated because Bad News Barrett, in the midst of the hottest run of his career, unfortunately got hurt and you know was never able to recapture that momentum. Man, I don't think people remember how hot he was when he first Barrett. became Bad News Barrett. Like he was. Yeah on fire he was having some great matches when it was super hot when the match where he beat Big E for the intercontinental title the crowd exploded when he won like we could if he had just kept along like what a great opponent for like reigns down the road he could have been or like Him, he feels like a credible challenger Lesnar he's so big and at this yeah. point he'd gotten in great shape yeah. Oh, I'm, oh, yeah. You think Brock's gonna hold the title forever? I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It just that character is also so perfect because it's a little one note, but it doesn't matter because anytime he ever said it, the crowd was like, "Fuck yeah, bad news!" Right now, the most overman in catchphrases, the the most overman in wrestling's catchphrases, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they show Maria Menounos in the front row, not wrestling this year. I'm willing to say that Maria Menounos might be the hardest core fan of any wrestling anywhere ever, because she absolutely does not need to be a wrestling fan at all. And she's at every show. Just loved Bob Backlund so much. And she's, yeah, she's got bona fides that none of you guys can match. She's the only Bob Backlund fan ever to live. (laughs) Uh, the story here is that Miz desperately wants to avoid being hit in the face, which is very funny. And he manages to dodge things for a while until Ziggler just blasts him in the face with a super kick. Hell yeah. 
Um, kind of a weird spot towards the finish here. Ziggler hits a Famouser, and Miz just pops right up and hits the skull crushing finale. Like that was Miz a now, Is Miz now doing King's Road? I don't understand. Uh, those words that you just said are as alien to me <laughs> as hieroglyphics. Uh, Ziggler kicks out a skull crushing finale, and then he pops up and hits the zigzag. And wins, uh, wins the title. I remember being very surprised by this. I figured they were going to stretch this chase out for a few months, which what? seemed like the logical thing to do, but I guess not. I think Miz won the do. title back a month later. Let's do uh, an unusual thing that we've never done before, but I just think it's appropriate. Let's do the Stump Steve segment right Ooh. here. Okay, right. intermission. So- I am one and four against Steve at this point and trying to stump him with a trivia question. Okay. Now, follow me here. Starting in 2000, the Intercontinental Championship changes hands three consecutive years, 2000, 2001, and 2002. Then it SummerSlam? only changes hands one more time at SummerSlam, I mean. Okay. Between 2002 and this match right here. Ooh. What what matched is that that's missing? Oh crap! Um, it's a it's a twelve year gap. The Intercontinental Title changing hands at SummerSlam. Was it um that mixed tag with Kofi Kingston and? Uh, Mickey James against Glamorella. I am so pissed off that you got that casually okay. off the dome. <laughs> the, only re- the only reason I got that is because I just listened to our episode that I posted, our classic episode that I posted on Monday that had that match on it. That's the Damn it, I didn't know that we just posted that episode or I would not have done that question. Fuck, one in five. <laughs> It pays to listen to the Lawcast. Um, no, that reminds me so much. If there was one time you asked me something incredibly obscure, and I just, like, it was a bunch of, like, it was a list, and I just started rattling them all off, and I had to be like, yeah, actually, for, unrelatedly, I had looked this up earlier today. I think it was like, like name the members of the tag tournament on SmackDown in 2003, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, Brock Lesnar and Tajiri. And I'm like, how yes, the fuck did it. you know that? Yeah, that was it. You were like, yeah, who was in that tag tournament? I just started like rattling all the random teams off. I'm like, yeah, I, I've been watching these episodes of SmackDown. It's like, that's fucking impossible, Steve. Brock Lesnar doesn't know he was in that match. <laughs> no, he sure doesn't. Uh, they recap Stephanie having Brie arrested on Monday. Uh, Brie slapped her. So like, they, they had done a thing where they had been trading back and forth who was getting who arrested. That first segment where Stephanie goes and slaps her in the front row after she's quit and then Brie gets her arrested is a white hot segment because the crowd goes ape shit. They arrest. They spend like 20 minutes arresting Stephanie and putting her in handcuffs while she's crying. And then, like, I love sleazy Triple A trying to intimidate the cops. Triple A's like, hey, we're, we're big boosters of the police union. You know, these are career decisions you're making, guys. This is really going to affect the rest of your life here. What you decide to do here. Fuck off, Triple H. Yeah, fucking corporate scumbag. And, yeah, she gets put in the cop car and taken away. And it's one of the most cathartic yeah. segments in wrestling history. <laughs> 
Um, some dude interviews Brie backstage. The real stump, Steve, is who the fuck was this guy? I don't know who that dude was at all. <laughs> I swear they didn't even say what his name was, which is hilarious. He's just he's just a, a microphone stand. Woof. Uh, Bree says she spent her time in jail sitting in her cell thinking about how much she hates Stephanie. Bree and Dominic both, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Hard time. Dominic did at least three hours in county. Say, Bree, Bree should have just been like, yeah, I spent three hours in the pen and it that'll change a woman. <laughs> you have a lot of time to think in there. Um, next up for the Divas title, we've got AJ Lee defending against Paige. Uh, Paige debuted the night after WrestleMania 30 and shockingly beat AJ for the Divas title. AJ then took some time off to get married to CM Punk before returning on Raw and knocking off Paige to win the Divas title in a surprise match. Of course, their wedding day is the day the WWE fired Punk. Yeah, they serve him his release papers at his wedding. Like, this is (laughs) not a coincidence. Yeah. The heat (laughs) that AJ Lee gets by marrying this man. Yes. She had to leave the company. It was untenable that she would continue to be there. Which is a shame because she's the only thing keeping this women's division alive. Um, It's Paige's 22nd birthday on this day. Happy birthday, yeah. Paige. Paige is only like 32 now. <laughs> well, wait, this show. Okay, we're two days from her birthday then. So, yeah, what's she turning this year? It's been nine years. So, yeah, she's like 31. That is insane. Yep. <laughs> That's wild. Um, this was an oddly fetishistic and sexualized match, wasn't it? It sure was, guys. Boy, this was a return. I have very positive memories of this AJ Lee and Paige feud, and most of them are because it felt like Paige was coming to save us. Like, AJ Lee had kept this women's division on, like, the resuscitator for so long. And then here comes Paige, the best women's wrestler who's probably ever been in WWE at this point. Certainly the best prospect they've ever had. And it seemed like things were going to change. But it turned out we were just, like, two years too soon. <laughs> yeah, for, for whatever reason, the entire feud between these two is basically that they have electric sexual chemistry yes and first of all they do <laughs> holy <laughs> really god yeah somehow AJ Lee had electric se- electric sexual chemistry only with, with literally women. everyone not with men no, i mean like only with women. <laughs> not with any of the dudes they paired with, with kane she had a weird chemistry with kane for a minute that was weird <laughs> Um, not a lot happens here. Paige wins in five minutes with the Rampage. So Paige wins the title back. I feel like they traded this belt five times. Yeah. This is pretty much the end of AJ. And then Paige won't really have anything to do. She'll just kind of fall in with the Total Divas girls. And then one day down the road, the four horsewomen will show up and change the world. Next up, we've got a flag match as Rusev <sighs> takes on Jack Swagger, babyface, real American Jack Swagger. Oh, boy. I just want 
maybe you guys have scrubbed this from your head, but I just want to point out that like make America great again. Jack Swagger was turned baby face and made an American hero. Zeb Coulter is a baby face. They tried to get sympathy with on this match. I also want to point out that uh, the Zeb Coulter promo at WrestleMania 13 inspired Donald Trump's presidential run. 100% it did. I don't think yeah. that Donald Trump knew anything about the politics going on until he heard Zeb Coulter's promo. He was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's the sweet spot. And he was right. Like, Zeb Coulter literally creates MAGA. I just want... Dutch, you're going to go to your fucking grave with that on your shoulders. There's a horrible Dutch Mantel Twitter account out there that I've heard is at not actually him, but... Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. Uh, this is just a normal match where they'll raise the flag of the winner's country and play the national anthem. So you don't have to climb up a pole and get a flag, unfortunately. Want to see Rusev climb a pole? Yeah, Rusev he's and so, Swagger. He's so sweaty, I don't think he could have. He's also not very tall. So, like, he's very broad. <laughs> he's not a good pole climbing size. No. Man, I remember that pole match in WCW where they had to have Jimmy Hart do it. And Jimmy Hart did it like he was, you know, a fifth grader at summer camp. He just flew right up the thing. Yeah, it was like Boss Man versus Earthquake or something like that. And just like, who the fuck's yeah. going to climb a pole? Jimmy Hart, it turns out, has the fucking moves. He went straight up that thing. Um, Rusev is introduced as now residing in Russia. Um, this summer, Russia had invaded Ukraine the first time. About to say, uh, huh. so this, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, Russia, they're trying to get heat by associating him with Russia. Somewhere in Lana said something really problematic. Like, I don't remember when it was. She said something really, like, Russia shot down an airliner, and Lana said something really problematic about it in a promo. Yeah, that sounds about right. Their determination to turn Rusev into a heel in this way is just weird because, like, anti-Russia stuff would work now because now the, it the, would. Yeah. yeah, but like, no one gave a fuck about the Ukraine thing then, unfortunately. Um, so like, and no one was really interested in booing somebody just because they happened to be from Russia. Which they weren't they actually, actually, and we all knew that. They actually put a picture of Vladimir Putin up on the screen. Yes. Uh, Swagger is led to the ring by a Marine guard. Uh, Rusev is undefeated on the main roster at this point. I was surprised. I thought this was actually a pretty good hard-hitting match. The truth be told... There's nothing wrong with Jack Swagger that couldn't be solved by just erasing the previous three years and starting from scratch. <laughs> you want to talk about a snake bit career. This man yeah. could have been something, but holy shit, did it go wrong. Uh, Rusev gets Swagger in the accolade, but Swagger manages to roll it into the ankle lock. That was a cool spot. That was cool. And then Rusev powers out, and he puts Swagger in the accolade until Swagger passes out, and they raise the Russian flag over the ring. Also, just Wish they brought, how how hot would it have been if they brought out Nikolai Volkov to sing the Russian national anthem? <laughs> I just want to point this out too. Like, look, I'm not trying to say anything about Russia, fuck Russia, etc. Um, 
I was so happy when he won because this theme is the banger of all national anthems, and I love listening to it. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got a lumberjack match as Dean Ambrose takes on Seth Rollins. Um, these two were supposed to wrestle at Battleground, I think, but uh, Ambrose attacked Triple H backstage and was thrown out of the ring as a result. So they built, they show the build to this and like the excellent betrayal by Seth Rollins and like the build is really good. Until at one random point in the video, they get to Ambrose being like, yeah, we're going to do hell in a meat cell. And I was like, what could he possibly mean by that? Oh, uh, it's a lumberjack match. When was the previous lumberjack match before this? 1984? That sounds about right. What Um, the fuck? The real trivia question would have been name some of these jabronis who are lumberjacks here. Man, there's some jabronis at ringside. We've got Big E, who's fallen a long way from being the Intercontinental Champion. Um, My favorite part is we got Stardust, future top star Cody Rhodes. (laughs) Yeah, Cody Rhodes, who just pinned Brock Lesnar's ass in the middle of the ring (laughs) at SummerSlam a week ago. Here is in his fucking Stardust makeup as a lumberjack here. We've got Bo Dallas. We've got... Cesaro, who was getting a huge push after WrestleMania, got Paul Heyman as his manager, and they've already given up on him. Um, Curtis Axel, who the previous year had Paul Heyman as his manager, and they've given up on him long before this. Uh, Damian Sandow, who a year ago had the Money in the Bank briefcase and is now dead in the water. Um, Eric Rowan, who I think him and Harper have been set free by Bray Wyatt at this point. So they're on their own to be jabronis and stand around the ring here. Basically. Fondango. uh, About a year before this, he was one of the hottest things in wrestling. Uh, Corporate Kane, who doesn't do a goddamn thing until the end. Uh, Heath Slater and his tag partner Titus O'Neil, both halves of Slater Gator here. Jesus, the the random tag teams that Heath Slater was in during his run, I swear to God. Jay Uso, who of course just main evented SummerSlam. Imagine the odds you could have gotten on Jay Uso will main event SummerSlam in a singles match someday. I I would have said this. Hey, nine years from now two people who are lumberjacks in this match will oh be the God. top two stars at SummerSlam. Pick oh them. who would i have i would have said biggie and yep. probably ryback i i think ryback is already done i may have said like maybe cesaro yeah. i would hope cesaro, that. cesaro's fair yeah <laughs> my would have been my heart rather than my head with that one but yeah probably cesaro um jimmy Uso, now the hottest heel in professional wrestling also, Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso look, and I'm sorry to say this, fellas, fat. <laughs> they are yeah. 40 pounds heavier than they are today. Corporate Kane in his slacks. Actually, he's in a full suit, isn't he? Yep, he sure is. Uh, Kofi Kingston. R-Truth Luke Harper. doing a comedy gimmick for some reason. Yeah, what was R-Truth? I don't know what R-Truth was up to at this point. He's just hanging around. 
Rob Van Dam in uh, I think his last ever pay-per-view appearance in WWE. Yep. Uh, the aforementioned Ryback, who's part of Ryback'sel at this point. Uh, Sin Cara. I don't know which which Sin Cara is this. Is this still the original? This is the ass kicker. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is Sin Cara too. It's the funniest thing that that dude just knocked out everybody in the company in backstage fights. The only undefeated re- fighter in the history yeah. of pro wrestling is Sin Cara too. <laughs> I think he literally won like five different fights and they wouldn't fire him. I think they were too afraid to. Yeah. Vince was like, I'm not going to let this man go nails on me. We're not doing that. And Stardust and Titus O'Neil. My favorite thing about this match, these were the most useless lumberjacks in history. Ambrose and Rollins fight all over ringside and through the crowd and up on the stage. These lumberjacks did not do their jobs. None of them should have gotten a paycheck tonight. They even make a point of being like every single one of these men is somebody the shield embarrassed and humiliated. And they all have a grudge against both of these two men, which is a great lead up to a lumberjack match, except none of these guys give a fuck. (laughs) That's actually very realistic. But if this were a real match, like none of these guys would care. They'd be like, oh, just let them fight. Who cares? Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, yeah, they fight all the way up into the stands. Um, Seth tries to powerbomb Rollins, but the Lumberjacks stop him. Rollins tries to walk out, but the babyface Lumberjacks carry him back to the ring. Ambrose hits an elbow drop off the top onto everybody. Uh, they go back in the ring. Rollins hits an insiguri. And Ambrose responds to that stupid thing he used to do where he'd fall back into the ropes and, you know, rebound off it and hit a lariat. I I hated that. This is a take on what Nigel McGuinness used to do. And his looked silly, too, but he did it so much faster that it genuinely kind of seemed like it was a ricochet effect. Whereas Ambrose just kind of lazily leans on the ropes and then comes on back with a lariat. We got to talk about how much Dean Ambrose sucked. John Moxley is awesome. God, Dean Ambrose was a fucking joke. Let's talk about this dickhead from head to toe. All right. He has, he's obviously going bald, but he's got like this stringy, greasy, shitty hair all down in his face. Yeah. He's wearing the world's cleanest tank top. And like some mom jeans. Yeah. He looks like a dickhead. It's real clear that he wants to look like dirty, grimy street fighter uh, badass, but he can't really not. He's really not in very good shape. Like his arms are so skinny. And that's the thing. Like you could, if Vince was willing to let him be dirty and grimy, maybe it works. But like, this is the best interpretation of that. They'll do Vince's. Like hearing Moxley explain what Vince's idea of Dean Ambrose was as like, a humorous prankster. Yeah. Moxley wants to like be carving people's heads up. And Vince is like, and then you're going to pop out of a Christmas box. Ha ha. Yeah. Spray him with ketchup and mustard. Spray him with ketchup and mustard. Yo, get him. Oh, that's funny. And the nickname, the lunatic fringe is maybe the shittiest nickname they've ever given anybody. 
What about that nickname is good that wouldn't be better if it was just the lunatic? The lunatic, yeah. I don't get it. Ambrose hits the curb stomp on Rollins, but Kane breaks up the pin. Goldust jumps in the ring to confront Kane and gets bitch slapped. And then all the lumberjacks jump in the ring and start fighting. This is amazing on a couple of levels. So Kane gets involved. He's the only one who has a real grudge against the shield. So I guess that makes sense. He has a vested interest in helping Seth Rollins win. Uh, Why Goldust leaps to the defense? I don't know. Nope. Couldn't tell you. Kane smacks him in the face and then immediately smacks exits the, the ring. Out of him. Smacks him like Alberto Del Rio did that race piece of shit back in Caterin. This inflames everyone so much that everyone starts falling, <laughs> yeah. but no one hits Kane. Kane just casually leaves the ring and then just goes backstage. The crowd did pop big for all the Lumberjacks fighting. Sure, because that's an actual exciting thing, unlike this match. Uh, Rollins hits Ambrose with the money in the bank briefcase and pins him. I enjoyed this. I thought this was fun. This is perfectly fine, but like maybe not heated, maybe not heated enough. When like Rollins and Ambrose came out, I was expecting pops. They didn't get them. I was very surprised by like how quiet the crowd was for most of the matches tonight, but especially for these two. Next up, in a match straight from my nightmares, we've got Bray Wyatt versus Chris Jericho. This is what you've always wanted, Steve. 13 minutes of uncut Bray Wyatt versus Chris Jericho. Oh, man. Like all of Wyatt's feuds, this started for no reason. Jericho returned on an episode of Raw, and the Wyatt family attacked him for no reason. And, you know, when given promo time to give, a, give you know, an explanation as to why he did this, Bray Wyatt just rambled incoherently. Oh, they've been lying to you, boy. There ain't no such thing as a hero. Our world is broken. This is maybe the biggest missed opportunity ever for Bray Wyatt, I think. Not because the feud with Jericho was such a good idea. Because Jericho was so hot after WrestleMania with Cena. He had the whole crowd singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And Jericho's really lame at this point. And no one's interested. But this sit-down interview they had. (laughs) I laughed so hard at that. They're just okay. Jericho's trying so hard to make this a really like serious big time match. Like, no, sorry, this isn't rockin' Austin. Also, like Jericho's got his doofus hair that's like sticking straight up. He's got this Ryan Seacrest scowl. hair. He's got black a scowl on his face. His black tie. Yeah. And like you said, Wyatt literally he could cut any promo that he wants. Every once in a while, he'd hit on something genuinely good, like our favorite promo of all time, anyone but you, Roman, of course. But here, yeah, he just rambles on about, like, you're on your pale horse, and there's you think you're a savior. And then Jericho's trying to cut, like, a serious promo against that, and it just dies. <laughs> yeah. Wyatt doesn't have Harper Rowan with him because they're banned from ringside. So apparently they haven't split the Wyatt family yet. I think that happens right after this, which why the fuck? What were they thinking? Vince (sighs) doesn't like stables. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't like teams. He doesn't like money. Apparently. 
it's a slow match as Wyatt just wears down Jericho. Um, Jericho makes a comeback. He tries to get Wyatt in the walls of Jericho, but he's too fat. Can't turn him. That's the advantage. If you're ever wrestling Chris Jericho to start eating catering right before, he won't be able to flip you. By the way, it turns out Bray Wyatt had some life-threatening illness. What the hell yeah, happened? We should probably talk about this. So also, there was been... not a, also, I read The Observer, and there was not a word about that in there. I really feel like Uncle Dave has no sources left at this point. We had been wondering for ages, like, where the fuck is Bray Wyatt? Did he just work everybody and already leave the company and just get a huge payday? No, it turns out he almost died. Yeah, like, I'm so curious to learn more of, like, detail. Like, what is the, I mean, is it it a really bad COVID case? That seems unlikely at this point. I mean, I guess he could just have long COVID and just, like, doesn't have his respiratory up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's why like, I like I was starting to I had assumed he had had like some kind of mental health situation was what I was thinking because I couldn't think of like what else would have kept him out for this long that wasn't an injury. Right. He might just uh, be which done made me, with which made me for feel, good. Which made me feel kind of bad for clowning on him so much, but you know. Listen, the game <laughs> is the game. It's still <laughs> objective. It's still objectively <laughs> hilarious that he has like a rolls up with a bag of cheeseburgers. Like that's that's not gonna not be funny. Him with the entire him with an entire bag of cheeseburgers saying this is my WrestleMania <laughs> is one of the funniest things to ever happen. Like ten years from now when we cover like this year's WrestleMania, that's definitely going in the lightning round. Oh my god, yeah. Like as a big guy, that's one of the most triumphant lines I've ever heard. It's just to be holding a sack of cheeseburgers and say this is my wrestlemania <laughs> he was looking forward to going home and just crushing that entire bag of burgers <laughs> children's like can i have one no <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man uh why it turns the tide with a ddt onto the apron jericho hits a super frankensteiner which pretty impressive that he took that why it took that absolutely uh, Jericho goes to do the lion salt, but Wyatt sits up and does the crab walk. That was pretty cool. And he starts yeah. yelling about how he can't die because he's already dead. You may not be dead, but your push sure is. It's funny because Wyatt was so good at just yelling out nonsense sentences, but yeah. they were catchy and they'd work, right? Like in the moment, you're like, oh shit, that's some creepy oh, shit yeah. to say. When and he would yell, follow it. the buzzards. At the end of this match, he just yells, find me. And it's just like, that's cool. But like, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> if you, The more you think about it, the less it works. Jericho is really overplaying the being afraid of Bray here. It's just a guy crab walking, man. Like, Get over I it. thought he was going to lion salt him while he was crab walking. And oh, that was going to be fucking great. That would have been crazy. That would have been like uh, Bianca doing the 450 onto Charlotte when she had the figure eight on. S- same deal. Yeah. Uh, Bray then hits Sister Abigail and pins Jericho. This wasn't great. No, it wasn't. It was probably better than we could have reasonably expected it to be. Jericho just did kept Bray coming Wyatt, back. Did like, Bray Wyatt ever have a good match in his entire oh. career? All right, That's so let's separate. Of the night. Name a good Bray Wyatt match. 
if we separate him from the Wyatt family, because those Wyatt family shield yeah, matches kicked ass. Count. Those don't count. Like, I, uh, is the last man standing match against Cena good? It feels like Cena's last man standing matches were usually good. I think that's probably the best one. And it's yeah. not, I don't think Bray Wyatt sucks. I just don't think he ever figured out what he was supposed to be no. doing in the ring. The, the problem is, he's this agile, fast, like moving, yeah. bumping big man, but it doesn't really fit the character. And then when he when he started to play the feed, nobody could figure out how to work with him. Like nobody could, because he wouldn't sell, but he had to be really plodding and slow. Like those matches were some of the biggest. Man, we're now at the point where we could go back and like do some of that. That was long enough ago now. Oh man, you guys are not ready to hear us pining about how much we thought the fiend was going to change wrestling forever and who in a way it did. That is the thing that like he said that when they showed him the mask, I think he said something like we just changed the business, which no, they did not. Yep. I mean for the worse, sure. <laughs> yeah. Sunshine uh, by Teddy Bears is our theme song tonight. This music is so bland that I forgot it was happening while they were telling us about it. Next up, we've got the hottest match on the show, Stephanie McMahon against Brie Bella. Uh, Stephanie comes out first in a full-body leather cat suit. My God. What did you think of Stephanie's black leather cat suit? What did I think of it? Um, Gee, um... (laughs) This is a moment. This is a moment in time, guys. When she walks out, you can, like, obviously hear all three commentators say, oh, shit, she's fucking hot. That's our boss. Yeah. And she's 40 at this point. I would bet that none of those three men had ever thought of her as an attractive woman before this because she's like the boss's daughter and a genuinely intimidating boss from all accounts. Um, she fine as fuck, y'all. Uh, she flashes four fingers to Ronda Rousey and the four horsewomen who are sitting in the front row. I mentioned this to you before the show that this feels like the beginning of the modern era. And yeah. one of the reasons that I feel that way is that, like, you can see the future that we live in now on this show. This Stardust, is like, the Usos. Yeah. This is that, like, NXT sitting in the audience moment yeah. for Ronda that lets us know that she's coming. This show is all about all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. people who are now the biggest stars in the industry. <laughs> and this is the beginning of John Cena's not the man anymore. Brock is. <laughs> you can see uh, it all Brie, right here. Brie comes out next. She is looking more serious than usual. She doesn't do any of her usual dancing and posing. Which is nice. Uh, they get in the ring. Stephanie is so much bigger than Brie. She's eight inches taller than her. We never think about this. Stephanie McMahon is very tall for a woman. Uh, she's based in heels. Yeah. She's six foot straight up. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like, especially with this women's division, Brie was a great choice because if they'd done this with Nikki, it wouldn't work quite as well. Cause Nikki's much bigger. Yeah. Uh, Brie tries to do a suicide dive and Stephanie just swats her down like a fly. This She's is like okay. Andre the Giant. Also, all of Stephanie's strikes are like getting laid in stiff. Like <laughs> she like 
clubs her with an elbow as she comes through the ropes. Apparently, they rehearsed this match a number of times, which I very much believe, because you can tell how confident Stephanie is doing all of this stuff. Yeah, as Stephanie is beating Brie down, the crowd starts chanting, you've still got it. Which is fucking hilarious, because when did she have it in the ring before? (laughs) (laughs) And she's a mega heel, but game respects game. It's just one of those things where, like, she comes out, and she looks so cool, and she's doing so good that it's like, you can't dislike this. She's just so fucking cool. Brie makes her comeback, and she breaks out the yes kicks. Um, As Brie is beating up Stephanie, Triple H comes down. He's got Nikki Bella right behind him. Stephanie goes for the pedigree. Brie counters her into the yes lock. Triple H knocks out the referee as Stephanie is just about to tap. So Brie breaks the hold and hits Triple H with a baseball slide. Which knocks Triple H the fuck out. Yeah. Not only does he get knocked out. after this. He doesn't just get knocked out. Brie poses over him and does the yes chance for like 30 seconds afterward. Like, this is a level of showing your ass that I don't think any man on the roster has done in years. The Bellas both get in the ring. They have Stephanie cornered, but Nikki turns on Brie, and Stephanie hits a pedigree and gets the pin. Nikki turns on Brie with the stiffest fucking elbow this yeah. side of Mizawa. It's fucking wild how hard he, she hits her sister. So this ends up being kind of weird. They end up pulling the plug. Like, they feud for a month or two, and then they just kind of pull the plug on it and put them back together as heels. It was weird. This is interesting because, like, I think what they realize is that there's not a lot of momentum behind Brie as a babyface. They try to give her Daniel Bryan's heat, and it doesn't really work because she just doesn't have the personality for it. What they learn very quickly the moment they turn Nikki Bella heel is that they have a genuine monster heel on their hands with her. Oh, yeah. Now that she's gotten so big, she's been working out with Cena. Yeah, she starts doing, like, the burning hammer to people. Yeah. and she, Okay, this is my favorite transformation any character has ever undergone. Nikki Bella, the identical twin of her sister, who was just there as, like, a sex person who never wrestles, transforms her body by working out with John Cena yeah. and, assumedly, being forced to watch all of his Japanese King's Road tapes. And she starts doing the fucking shining elbow in the burning hammer... <laughs> Um, how mad, how salty do you think, um, who was that dude who was doing the burning hammer and then Cena made him stop? Tyler. Tyler. How mad do you think Tyler Rex was when John Cena's girlfriend got to do the burning hammer? I also want to point out too, John Cena said that Tyler Rex had to stop because it was too close to the attitude adjustment, but I guarantee you it's really because he's like, Hey, jabroni, you can't do Kobashi's move. That's fucked up. (laughs) sacrilege what the fuck you think you're doing doing the burning hammer on superstars knock it off uh so probably... show yeah go ahead uh they show a very strange segment where a guy named jake tucker trains at the perform performance center i don't know what this was about i meant to like google this earlier to see if mama's boy jake tucker actually turned out to anything because like it would be so funny to find out that like this is like daniel garcia now man on that note on twitter yesterday i saw a squash match from heat in like 2005 with a big show squash john moxley and la night 
What? Yeah, literally. Dean, it was um John John Moxley was called John Moxley. I can't remember what LA Knight was called back then. God, that was maybe when he was like Gavin something. I don't even know what he was. Sean Ricker, yeah, was, I think that's what and he was. was like only, and he was like only 30 years old back then because he's like 50 now. There is no evidence of where the fuck John Tucker is, um, but uh, there is somebody cosplaying as him on Twitter doing posts as if he's the mama's boy. So Why? What? I, 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 I don't know, dude. <laughs> All right, next up, we've got the sub-main event. Randy Orton takes on Roman Reigns. Um, Orton comes out first. Man, does he look fantastic. His abs look deeper than ever here. This is fucking crazy, man. Orton's Orton's in this weird place where he's, like, finally started to become, like, adult Randy Orton, finally. Like, you have to, like, be like, oh, man, he's, like, a grown man. It's, like, 35 now, I think, here. He's so wildly in control of his shit. This is around the time he just starts hitting RKOs, just seemingly just for the challenge rating. Like, let's see the how difficult an RKO I can hit. Um, then Reigns comes out. It is very Good. weird to hear that. I can't, he, like, when I hear that music, I mentally insert booze. It's just so natural for me it is really weird to hear him getting cheered and my first reaction was oh my god what is that gear he's wearing he's got the it's like the shield gear but with blue pipe in it looks like the cheapest shittiest like goth pants your buddies used to wear in high school when they went to a rave like he looks like it's like it's like hogan's cool pants from wcw 99 yes his vest is like They've cut it to try to show off more of his body, and it just kind of oh, looks like a good idea a li- like that. It, it looks yeah. like a life preserver vest. Like it looks bad. And like all I could he think the like whole time, looking, every time I look, the, I look at him, I'm just like, take the fucking vest off. Like the the star power that he unleashed just by taking the doofy yes. vest off was incredible. Now, I think he's in better shape now than he was back then, but we'll never know because we never saw him with the vest off back then. But honestly, I don't care if he's dumpy. It just looks bad. Like, it's just a big black blob of loose clothing. It's bad. It doesn't look good. Um, Orton gets control of the match and hits a gigantic superplex. That is really impressive. Also, like... Reigns is bigger here than he is now. Yeah. By like a lot. But like he could have been 300 here, man. He's fucking huge. Roman makes a comeback. He hits a Samoan drop off the top rope. Then a Superman punch. He goes for the spear. Orton catches him with a sick power slam. This was awesome. Yes. The stink on this. Orton, all he cares about with this match is let me think up some cool counters to the spear. I don't really give a shit about anything else. Orton sets up for the RKO. Reigns blocks it. He hits the ropes to go for the spear, but Orton gets him with the RKO. How awesome was that? We don't often talk about how good of an athlete Roman is, though, of course, he's a phenomenal one. He was like an All-American football player and stuff. Yeah. He jumps... For like he tries to do like a flying spear for this RKO. 
he gets probably six feet off the ground. It's fucking nuts. I could say super close to count and a big pop on the kick out. Um, Reigns recovers. He hits the spear and gets the pin. Really good match. Orton did a great job here. Like made Reigns look like a million bucks. Yeah. As the transition guy, like on the way to like Cena and Brock, like this is, he does his job perfectly here. So at this point, it feels like the Reigns push is pretty much on track. The problem is he gets hurt almost right after this and he's out until the rumble and that really screws things up. A couple of things that would have rescued this push. Cause we're still in the time where people like reigns, like the yeah. turn hasn't happened yet. If Brian doesn't come back in the winter, yeah. I think it's okay. I think, I think yeah, if it probably. had just been reigns coming back, we would have been into it. Yeah, I think, yeah, in in hindsight, it was a disastrous decision to have Daniel Bryan be in that Royal Rumble. Even if you bring Daniel Bryan back like a week later, you just can't bring him. Well, no, because then we knew he was coming back and then we would have expected him there. Bring him back the night after Mania. Fuck. (laughs) Then we get a tremendous promo video for the main event. Lesnar promises to leave Cena in a pile of blood and urine and vomit after their match. And he just about does. This is my favorite part about this is that like Brock Lesnar has been hired as a mercenary to kill John Cena. He does not care about the belt. He does not care about this match. And then John Cena starts mocking him about the time that he beat him before. And then Brock mistake. Then Brock pushes Heyman aside and starts cutting his own promo on Cena, which he never, ever does. That's how you know you fucked up. Why would you antagonize Brock Lesnar? Cena's calling him, like, weak and heartless, and he's got no chance to, like, oh, he makes such a horrible error here. Because you could uh, argue Les- this is the first fully engaged Lesnar we get for from from the time he comes yeah. back. Lesnar comes out first, and he just has a terrifying aura as soon as he steps through the curtain. There's an element to this match that I don't think I've ever seen in a Brock Lesnar match where he's just so happy the entire time from start to finish. He hits the, that he hits Sadistic. the curtain, and he's just got a giant smile on his face. And it's like, what? Why? And then we find he's out why. Kill John Cena. Yeah. He knows what's about to happen, and he's so excited about it. Cena comes out super somber, like he doesn't play to the crowd at all. There's no salute. There's no talking to the camera. He just like puts his head down and goes straight to the ring. I really like that. He does this thing where he pulls out his towel that says "Never Give Up," and he like pauses for a second to look at it, like, "Well, <laughs> I guess I yeah. said I'd do it." <laughs> We're going to test that tonight. Cena rushes Lesnar right off the bell. Lesnar overpowers him, pummels him, and then hits the F5. And I remember thinking that might be it. Okay. So if he just pins him right there, one F5 killer done. That's still awesome. It's still yeah. very, very, it would very have been cool. Like, it would have been like Lesnar Goldberg. Like the crowd would have, the, the pop would have been insane. 
And like, I feel like the rematch would have been hotter if you had done that. Casino would have been like, I got caught. I'm not going to say I didn't. Yeah. But I'm never going to get caught like that again. Whereas the rematch we get next time is like, Cena's not beating him. We just watched Lesnar <laughs> kill his ass. Picked him apart. Like, yeah. We're talking about this is like a college football game where like Alabama plays Western Tennessee and beats them 77 to zero. But that's the spectacle that makes this match memorable. If he beats him yeah. in 10 seconds, that's awesome. And maybe we remember it a little. But what happens from here on is unlike any other match we've ever seen. Yeah. We've seen guys dominate other guys in quick matches. Um, you know, of course, Goldberg over Lesnar. Um, uh, Eno- Enoki Vader is one of my favorite matches yeah. of all time. But that was only about a two or three minute match. Vader beat him in. Like yeah. here, Lesnar proceeds to just decimate Cena, just pick him apart for 15 minutes, play with him, and Cena can't do anything about it. Cena has two comebacks, very brief. He manages to hit the AA, which like Paul Heyman freaks out and Brock kicks out, and then Brock immediately beats his ass some more. And then he like tricks Brock into an STF, which is scary for a second, and then Brock just basically stands up out of it and is like, nope. So Cena kicks out of the F5 at two. Lesnar laughs and then starts suplexing him and just suplexes him over and over and over. Cena gets glassy-eyed and wobbly. Some really great selling, although I can also believe he might just start getting dizzy at a certain point of being suplexed. And here's the thing that people don't really remember. This is not a thing that Brock did really at the time. This is the match where he realized he could just do German suplexes Suplex and City. F5s, yeah. and that would be perfectly fine. Like, isn't this the match where he says, like, I'm going to take you to Suplex City, bitch? Is, doesn't that start here? No, he says that against Roman. Oh, okay. That's right. That's it's right. Roman at WrestleMania in San Francisco. Yeah, after he suplexed him, like, five or six times, he goes Suplex City, bitch. And, yeah, that becomes instantly the hottest catchphrase in wrestling. But, like, that's basically what we're doing here. He's creating a new kind of match. Like, yeah. Well, this just is like, just kind of like if wrestling was real, like, this is the kind of a guy. It's, guys wouldn't do a bunch of crazy, flashy stuff. A guy Lesnar's size would just pick people up and throw them around if he could. Yeah, it's funny because people are like, why does he only do German suplexes and F5s? And I'm like, well, those are basically the most efficiently destructive yeah. moves you can possibly do. So, like, yeah. <laughs> And when he did real MMA fights, Lesnar would pick dudes up and slam them. He's so strong. Yes. We we talked last week about how he gut wrenched a motherfucker like casually. Uh, Cena hits a few shots. He manages to knock Lesnar down, but Lesnar pops up, gets him up for the F5. Cena slips out, hits the AA. Lesnar kicks out, you know, for a moment watching live, I was like, oh, God, please don't. If that's it, that's a disaster. Wouldn't that have been the funniest shit ever? Oh, that would have been horrible. It would have been like a parody of LOL <laughs> Cena wins. <laughs> Cena rushes Lesnar. He gets double-legged and pummeled. More German suplexes. At this point, some fans in the crowd start to chant boring because they're idiots. Here's the thing. This was not well received at the time. Like this, there was a lot of people 
in like the online community who are like, this Boy, is a garbage match. Brock, Brock Lesnar sucks. What a burial of Cena, blah, blah, blah. Y'all are Why? Dumb Where do fucks. people get the idea that every match needs to be the same? What I loved about this is I've never seen another match like this. No. Out of the literally thousands and thousands of wrestling matches we've watched, I've never seen another match quite like this one. I need you to put yourself in the shoes of watching this for the first time as it just keeps going. That's what was so yeah. stunning to me at the time. Like my mouth was like dropped open because he still just beating kept on him. hurting him. Yeah. And I was also like, okay, when's Cena going to make the big comeback? Like, okay, he's going to, like, do the shoulder tackles and the blue thunder bomb, the five-knuckle shuffle. None of that bullshit. He never even gets going with any of it. No. And this, I mean, this invents a new style, and this is the Lesnar style of match almost, I mean, pretty much to this day. The match against Cody was a little different, but, you know, Lesnar's matches are just big. They don't mess around with anything. They just do the big moves and try to win. Yeah, Lesnar's match with Cody is actually pretty similar to this, where he just beat Cody's ass for 15 minutes and then took a bunch of finishers and lost. In this Cody case, was stronger than John Cena was here and came back. Obviously, obviously, Cody Rhodes much better than John Cena. We all know that. Very <laughs> randomly, there's actually another match I kind of remember like this. Do you remember when Cena got jobbed out by Del Rio when he lost the U.S. title to him? Yeah, that's right. It was such a strange match because it's basically like this one. And I remember thinking it was going to lead to something like. Either like Cena is going to be like, oh, Cena's like super depressed or like I was even like, was Cena poisoned or so? Are they going to say like somebody like spiked Cena's Gatorade and he wasn't like fully functioning? But it didn't like it didn't lead to anything. But it was just a very strange match where Del Rio just decimated Cena and pinned him clean without Cena really getting a comeback. We have been waiting for all of Cena's career for his Okada with the balloon moment. And what I mean by that is when Okada lost to Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom the one time where he was like crying when he left and Tanahashi was like, the IWGP is much above you. He had like a six month period where he dyed his hair red, wore long pants and carried one single balloon to the ring. Cause he was so depressed and couldn't beat anybody because he just lost his mojo. We just waited for Cena to just like sell any of these horrifically disappointing losses, and he just never ever did. Oh, even here, that was what bummed me out so much. I was sure that coming out of this, we were gonna get something different from Cena. Like he was gonna change his gear, or he was gonna get some new, you know, get some new moves or something, but he didn't change anything. Like he just came out and did like his John Cena thing, like Brock Lesnar was the better man. I respect him, blah, blah, blah. But I never give up. I never blah, blah, blah. And they just came back the next month. They had another match that Cena almost won. And yeah, like everything just continued as normal, which was a real bummer. I just kept waiting for John Cena to have some character development and he never did. It's just so easy to see, like, it's so easy to fantasy book Cena turning heel or or even just having character development at various points in his career. Here, What if he, what if he went back to being the doctor of thugonomics? Yes. What if he was just like, I got to recapture whatever it was about me that made me hungry in the first place. Clearly, I don't have it anymore. I can't beat this man the way he, I am now. Minimum here should have been gone for a co- like a couple months. He should have been gone for like, he should not have just come back out on raw the next night. But the problem is, like you said, they're hitting that six month expiration on the network. So they had to rush the Cena Lesnar rematch. Yeah. 
it would also be super interesting if you did something like Cena chases Lesnar, but he can't get another match with him. So we almost do like the Michaels Taker thing where he goes into the Rumble, but he can't win and Reigns wins instead, and it drives yeah, Cena that's, crazy. That's really fun. He just can't get. He keeps losing number one contenders matches. He keeps, you know, he's in a tournament, but he you know slips on a banana peel. Like they could have done the thing they didn't do with him after like same way they should have done more with him after Rock beat him. How they pretended like yes. he was. You know, super depressed and lost all his matches for the year, but he actually did end. No, he just kept, he won the belt that year. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. He won. The no, money yeah, they the absolutely bank. should have done something. He beat the big show. He beat a ton of people. Yeah. And then when you have Roman win at WrestleMania, heel John Cena can be waiting for him. Yeah. And yeah, Cena and at that point, he's just he's become irrelevant. He's become a joke, and he's not ready to let go yet. And the only thing you can do is pull that switch, brother. Hollywood John Cena. <laughs> yeah. The road not taken. Anyway, back yep. in this match, Cena manages to trip Lesnar and get him in the STF. And this might have been the worst finish imaginable if Lesnar had just tapped out here. Yep. Instead, he, he powers out, F5s the shit out of Cena and pins him. Maybe the single most one-sided WWE championship match I've ever seen. There's a moment in this match. I think it's after the AA where like when Lesnar kicks out, he then just leaps to his feet and starts jumping up and down and laughing uproariously like, yeah, yeah, come on. That's some great shit. Let's do it, John. And John looks so scared and crushed in that moment. Like he just hit him with his big move and it didn't do anything. If anything, he made him him more excited. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, this in that Lesnar's moment, that's the different. most scary and unbeatable. Yeah, like a fully engaged Brock Lesnar is impossible to beat. That has been proven over and over again. Even now, Brock Lesnar's not really doesn't give that much of a shit about beating Cody Rhodes. Like, come on, like it's difficult for Brock Lesnar to even really get interested. But here, invincible, invincible. Like you couldn't hurt him. Like, you could break a two-by-four over his back, and he wouldn't notice. So, yeah. Um, Lesnar celebrates with both belts. This is actually the last time we would see both the belts. Um, I think, like, TMZ or somebody caught up with Lesnar and Heyman at a steakhouse that night, and Brock just said something like, yeah, I'm not carrying two belts. So after this, he only had the one. <laughs> just stop That's carrying so fucking good. Stop carrying around. No big gold belt for Brock. That's too many belts for him. Fucking Brock. Bless him for having the stroke to be like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Realist dude out there is like, I don't want to carry two belts around. Even, even though he flies private and like doesn't have to go through airport security, he's still not doing it. These things are heavy, man. He's like, I'm not fucking lifting both of these every night. Just give me the light one. Like do you think by this point, that, were they still having the guys carry the belts around with them? Because I know now they just take them like from town to town in the truck and just give them to the guys at the arena because I think they got sick of the guys losing them. Yeah, the guys kept losing the belt. You remember when Jericho lost the AEW title in a fucking it. steak restaurant like yeah. the week after he got it? He's like drinking in a Benihana and somebody swiped the thing. And literally like he had had it had existed for like a week at that point. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. What if they have insurance on these things? You probably have know. to. 
somebody out there has to have the original AEW title belt. And like, imagine that you have that th- you have that thing on your mantle. You swipe yeah. the original title belt. But yeah, this did an amazing job of establishing Brock Lesnar as a dominant champion, the likes of which we had never seen. And after this, at least for a while, every Brock Lesnar match was special. I don't know when it really stopped. Probably the Moxley match. Yeah, I'd say that's probably true. And he still managed to recapture it after that from time to time. It's just every single match up until then was definitive definitively special and like it's funny that i kept saying but for the show and a couple times on the show that this seems like the beginning of the modern era i think when we look back this is the lesnar era because like not only do these matches come to define everything important that actually matters but like it kind of even changes the style it changes how people get pushed like everything just revolves around him after this yeah i mean Reigns only really seizes the mantle of top guy from him, I'd say, in 2020 or 2021. I think it was at that COVID WrestleMania where they job out Lesnar and Reigns. But that's really when Lesnar stops being that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a seven-year period after this where Lesnar is the number one guy in the company. To the extent where... Roman is carved in the stars that he's going to beat Lesnar at this WrestleMania until he doesn't because they're just like, eh, maybe not. (laughs) And then again, four years later in uh, New Orleans, which remains one of the most shocking outcomes to any match I've ever seen. That is, I believe, the match that has main evented the most pay-per-views in WWE history. I could be wrong about that. It's definitely main event of the most WrestleManias because it's main event of three of them. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. There is an, so, yeah, yeah like, it was Dallas, it New Orleans, three. and San Francisco. Yeah, Cena and Rock did two in a row. And Austin and Rock did two, but not three. Yeah. So, yeah. They almost, got, they almost got to do three, but they changed the order of the matches at the last minute at 19. So, officially speaking, the biggest match in WWE history is Lesnar versus Reigns. <laughs> a match yeah. we never wanted. Never, ever wanted to see. Except maybe, like, one time. The one time I was excited for it was um, uh, after the when Brock came back. It was at the SummerSlam in Vegas after, Cena beat, after Reigns beat Cena and Brock showed up. And it was... Tribal Chief Reigns against Babyface Lesnar. That first time I was really excited to see that. Oh, yeah. We all wanted Cowboy Lesnar. That kicked ass. That was finally like something fresh. And then they proceeded to just run that match into the ground and do it five more times. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah. A wrap on this very interesting show. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, this didn't have quite as good of, you know, top matches as last week's, but... Maybe a more consistent show. I really, really enjoyed it, too. This one felt super interesting because this is still a time that I, in my head, consider to be like the now times, even though it's nine fucking years old now. So it was so funny to watch all of these guys. Things just don't change as fast anymore, I feel like. 
yeah, all of these guys are still around. Some of them are doing vastly different things, but they're all still some of them here. Are in, some of them are in AEW. Yeah, some of them are yeah. now not Stardust anymore. I guess we didn't point out how much turnover there's been in the main event scene since the previous year. The previous year, the top matches were John Cena versus Daniel Bryan, Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk, and Del Rio versus Christian. And what, four of those six guys are either injured or out of the company at this point? Basically. And now, if you you fast forward nine years, the only huge difference is that Cena's gone. Yeah. Like, it it was still very... Yeah, it was still very possible that Orton or Wyatt could have started feuds with Reigns on this show that we just saw. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Expecting them to come back anytime now. Yep. So, yeah, um, a wrap for SummerSlam 2014. Next week, we're going to do something we've only done a few times in the history of this show. We're going to cover a show for the second time. Um, if you're a real longtime listener of this podcast, you might remember in our very first year of doing this show, we covered SummerSlam 1992. We're going to do it again with... AEW about to run Wembley Stadium, you know, which will be the first wrestling show at Wembley Stadium since SummerSlam 1992. We got to go back to cover SummerSlam 1992. To this day, I would say, still the most legendary and revered SummerSlam of them all is WWE packed Wembley Stadium with nearly 80,000 people. We may have covered this one before, but we're very different. The company's very different. It's been a bunch of years, guys. And also, yeah. like, we have, I think, very different perspectives on almost every single match on this show than we would have when we first started this podcast. Like, I'm really looking forward to going you know, in depth on this one. You know, back then, I don't feel like we did a lot of research. We'd kind of just, like, watch the show and bullshit about it. Here, like, I did I'm not. reading books. <laughs> I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading the observer, like I'm getting into this. I'm watching, you know, YouTube collections of the buildup to the show. There's all kinds of interesting backstory to this one. And there's one very interesting backstory that we're going to have to wrestle with for a long time on that one. <laughs> yeah. See ya. Love all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.